0: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. Uh, my name is Aaron Edwards, and I'm joined by Andy Bannister, um, sitting in a what looks to be a uh, living room rather than a uh, a, a bag end, as he usually is in, in his shed, um, which is interesting. But we'll get to that in just a moment, Andy. Firstly, just before we kind of uh, get going, it would be good to just to kind of get a little plug for the podcast. You know, me and Andy with our are clearly a social media incompetency we haven't quite got the time to promote ourselves as much as we'd like to as much as we love self-promotion of course um, it would be really helpful if you guys would help us so if you were able to like subscribe support the podcast in any way you can that'd be really helpful we do keep meeting people all across the country who are really enjoying the podcast finding it really helpful um, and so if you can kind of help us to help you and help others um, by supporting the podcast in any way you can that'd be really really helpful um, but anyway, Andy, uh, before we ask, well, the, no, we've asked them to sort of support us and like us, but why should they like us? You know, when, when this episode, who knows what we're going to even talk about. But before we even get to the episode, where, where are you, Andy? This is strange for me not to see you in your normal shed in the back of your garden.
1: I know. I'm not in, the, I'm not in my little wooden hut in the garden. No, I am actually uh, staying in a little cottage on a country estate in Scotland, which is amazing. We have friends who own this uh, estate who've, who've lent this to us for the week because I am uh, at Glasgow University every day because there's a, there's a university mission week happening. The Christian Union on campus are doing their annual uh, kind of outreach. So every lunchtime we have uh, lunch bars, as we call them. So that we put on free food for students. We do a, mm. a topic and we're finding amazing. Actually, we have had things, the, the student uh, union bar packed. It's overflowing. We've run out of food one day. We're out of chairs another day. Um, we've had, yes, 100, north of 100 most, most days in a room designed wow. for probably 80 and so, anyone who tells you that students are not spiritually interested—people that we have loads Amazing. of non-Christians—is that? I mean, is that, mean, is that just because you
0: are Andy and Bannister of part of the gaps? Clearly, is that the reason why they've come? Maybe
1: I, I, th- <laughs> I think that might drive a few away. Actually, I think it's more likely to be a free sandwich. I think you know, if you say to people, people Andy Bannister, they go, hmm, "If you say, would you like a free chicken or falafel? You know, uh, you know, uh, wrap or something?" People <laughs> yes. are gonna go, "Yeah, all right. So, I think more the quality... Well the quality Clearly, of it and the yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah, you don't just, just well. have the
0: generic. You, you know, yeah, ask, yeah.
1: ask a good question, yeah, and people are interested. So, um, so we've done everything from you know God and science, faith and suffering. Today, we're looking at um, can you have human mm. rights without God? Um, Interesting. So those I always are the found qualities. the same
0: when we were doing the CU mission stuff back in the day. It was always the more controversial topics that people are actually thinking about and wondering about are the ones that would get a, a good following. Rather than the generic things that Christians like to think non-Christians are thinking about or, or framing the question in a way that actually, um, yeah, it's, it's really suited to us rather than to the people who are asking these questions. And that's always a mistake. So you always put on, yeah, we're going to have a free lunch bar. You have to i always think it has to be a good lunch bar. You have to have good quality crisps and sandwiches. Like you don't just want to have to crisps. It's just not, well, that'd be Walmart for America.
1: No, I actually did. Yes, and yeah, the risk right. of offending lots of American listeners, I am. Um, I did a, a, a university mission week last year for a different university, which I won't mention. And uh, the CU there had a little bit more cash, and uh, it was a slightly the, the, the sort of the, the type of university was was uh, was perhaps slightly more upmarket, and so they wanted, one evening they did a, they did a gin wow. bar, they did a gin tasting evening. And, Of course, a free gin tasting evening. Absolutely. The marquee was just packed to overflowing. And it was great because, you know, we pull people in for that, but then Mm. they stay for the talk Mm. and they stay for the Q&A. And and we do this with churches too, not gin bars, but I think, you know, we're saying to churches, hospitality really matters. If you go into a neutral space and put on an event in a coffee shop, uh, a restaurant, pub, wherever, and there's good food and good hospitality and people feel welcomed and it's a fun evening, people will come and think about life's big questions so i think yeah the church is to ask the right questions yeah, and yeah. just welcome That's really good
0: and and put them up know, in lovely rooms yeah, the speakers you know it's clearly
1: exactly put the speaker you know. up in a lovely little house this is really good. normally i stay in often quite low budget hotels so this is amazing when our friends who owned this estate were like well would you like to we've got a cottage on the estate would you like one. to come and stay there for week?" i was like well <laughs> do, do i think it now <laughs> I stay in a small one room a one room hotel bedroom in glasgow i could <laughs> Have a little two-bedroom cottage with the, you know, with a window overlooking the Scottish mountains. It's, it's
0: a hard life. Next tough, time you get to ask them for the actual stately home itself, you know, you have to be, I'll, I'll take the seventeen-bedroom 17 bedroom stately home, the cottage. Home. That's right. That's it. Yeah, great. Well, yes. exciting stuff. Well, good. Um, so, Andy, where, what's our segue? Have you got a segue for me? You've got a pan on. Have you got? A, have you come loaded with the pan? I haven't loaded? come.
1: I haven't come loaded with it. With with with. with I haven't come with a with a pun, but I suppose I would sort of say that you know maybe there's a you know when we go out and we engage those questions we you know, we show a bit of muscle we show a bit of strength and a good sandwich so good sandwiches
0: not, with protein are gonna
1: and a good sandwich we don't you know when the church actually engages properly with the tough questions of the day rather than spends its time having stupid internal arguments over all kinds of things that's basically look at respond. that so maybe
0: a muscular a engagement, muscular engagement exactly. with culture. That's, that's, i think it might do i think we're there i think we've made it listeners to our our wonderful segue to our title today so we are talking about today muscular christianity this phrase which um in some ways um will be unfamiliar to many of you but i'm i'm expecting for an increasing amount of you will be familiar or will start to be talked about again partly because of the rise of some of the issues uh, surrounding it so Muscular Christianity is this. You know, Andy. What, what do you know about muscular Christianity?
1: Well, when you told me you wanted to do a show, on muscular Christianity, I'm. I, what I assumed you meant is you'd been looking at my my physique, in, yeah, yeah. in the Zoom screen for every time we've recorded these, and you've gone. We need to talk about this because. You know, for for listeners who, who who can't haven't who can't see this, I mean, I I like to think of myself as you know someone who's sort of really sort of you know sort of fit and healthy and a model. Actually, you no, know, not really. Um, it's clearly not that. No, I don't know. Actually, it was interesting when you said muscular Christianity. I didn't know what you meant. So I'm. This is great. Yeah, so yeah. You, know, you can educate me as well as as well
0: as. Well, basically, muscular Christianity was a, a kind of defined. Movement, but most movements of thought developed organically. It was not like anyone sat down and started at the Dissenter for Muscular Christianity, but it started in the 19th century in Victorian England, um, and then it migrated to the US and uh, and took on different kinds of different forms. And it was basically um, a movement of in response to the Industrial Revolution amongst men in the church, and it, it was Christians in the church, starting especially with Anglicans, who were kind of realizing. That the Christianity that they had inherited didn't seem to have arms and legs. It didn't seem to have, you know, hands and feet to actually impact the world. It didn't seem to be something that was um, would would, it, would make any significant difference. Because it's almost as though people become a Christian um, and then they live in this spiritual, intellectual world in their head, and they sort of think, "Well, I'm living for another world, so I won't really need to sort of make much of an imprint on this one." Um, and so that had sort of been the kind of unspoken reality for many people. It's, again, these things don't ever happen deliberately often. It's not like someone sits down and goes, let's have a completely intellectual, um, you know, yeah, disembodied Christianity. Let's just kind of make it all abstract, make it all intellectual. And just imagine we're living in a spiritual wonderland and we just ignore the real world. And we ignore the real world to the extent that we ignore our own physicality. In that. So we don't think God is all that interested in our bodies. Um, we, he might be interested in what we do with them sexually. That's a, perhaps a different thing. The, the Christians of that time aren't going, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body in that um, other sense. But they aren't, weren't particularly worried about the way that people exercise their bodies and exercise their, we could argue, human dominion on the world, on the earth. And so this was a sort of movement to say we need to kind of put the muscle back in Christianity. We need to put there's one book by Norman Vance on it called The Sinews of the Spirit. Say so the spirit should have sinews to it, has to have muscle to it. There's something about the life of the spirit which should, you yeah. know, have arms and legs, hands and feet, just as Paul uh, gives us that really great sense of the soldier uh image in Ephesians 6 um that there are shoes fitted for the gospel of peace as well as a sword of the spirit a shield of faith belt of truth breastplate of righteousness helmet of salvation so all this kind of battle imagery um uh, the sense of the church as an army uh, of course the salvation army pops up in the same century um, there's there's just a sense of wanting to be good news for the world so it's an it's an interesting kind of movement uh, I said particularly in response to industrialization where you have a lot of men especially who are really migrating away from the way that they probably had to use their bodies physically to accomplish a lot of work and a lot of their daily tasks that that's getting that's changing in industrialization because a lot of those things are becoming mechanized obviously not not to the extent that we are today we're far more feminised. most men are today even without us knowing it even those of us who like to talk about these things we're very effeminized in ways we don't really realize because we're um, not having to use our sort of masculine vigour in terms of the use of our bodies in the way that most of civilization has had to previously. So, you know, there's all sorts of things in there, but basically the, the Muscular Christianity movement was a way of putting flesh back on the spirit, almost uh, in the sense that we, you know, our, we become Christians, we don't cease to be good news for the world, we don't cease to care about our bodies. So, so many things come out of that. Uh, the church is, you know, foundational in in caring about things like sport, seeing lots of men misusing their energy who aren't Christians and saying, how can we reach them? Um, they, you know, lots of churches started. Many of the Premier League football teams, even today, were started by churches. Lots of them were. Um, so quite you know, an interesting array of things that you wouldn't normally associate with good, pious Christians who care about heaven. Um, these, are, these are people who said, we care about heaven and therefore we're going to care about earth. I'm going to care about what we do here and what, and what what we can accomplish for the kingdom, the kingdom of God kind of advancing in and through his, Jesus being declared as Lord throughout this world. So there's all sorts of interesting things related to it. Um, I can say much more, but you know, I'll let you uh, reflect on any of those things if you wish at this time, as, as a good muscular Christian. Good, yourself, uh, of course, as, He does like climbing. You, you're, you're quite a hiker. I like am,
1: excuse me. I am quite a hiker and, and a climber. I like, I like climbing things and occasionally falling off things. And, um, and actually, the interesting thing is as you as you as you talk about that uh, Aaron, I mean I think over the years one of the things i've I've noticed is that you know someone who like you works in a more intellectual arena, um, mm-hmm. you know theology, philosophy, and then the evangelism, the apologetics, a lot of that's the mind and then speaking and communicating, and you know then there are lots like me right and even and of course, the whole growth of things like the you know the sort of service industry, the knowledge of economy and so on but I've noticed over the years that if that's all you do you can end up getting sort of you know quite stressed out and quite frustrated and so sometimes the, the need to go and do something physical so for me you know climbing hiking but then just building shelves doing woodwork doing something physical there's definitely something for, for men I'm not saying that's not there too for women too that but that's a whole other discussion but as a guy I think there is something um, that's there and then I remember years ago actually one of the churches I was involved in was struggling like a lot of churches do to attract men and so we um mm. we set up a men's group that was designed for outreach uh, amongst among anything mm. else and it was one of the most successful things i've ever seen because it was organized by we had a mm. local farmer in the in the church and so we started once a month on his farm we would have a, a, a guy's mm. evening where we would do something something physical so we did jcb driving we did stonewalling we had a build a firework <laughs> evening that survived any of us survived Sort of good, sort of you know, manly sort of type of stuff. Then we had a barbecue, and Nigel's idea of a barbecue was to dig a pit with a JCB, fill it, fill it full of pe- fencing poles, pour gasoline over it, set fire to it, put a metal griddle <laughs> over it, and throw slabs of cow onto it. What? But what was it? And then as we sat around the fire, we would sort of talk guy stuff. And then there'd come a point in the evening mm-hmm. where Nigel the farmer was, was just like, he didn't do segues, he went, Right, lads, now, Jesus. And he would just, What? But it worked. And we got loads of men yeah. came, loads of men who were on the fringes yeah. of the church, loads of men who would never set foot at church. Yeah. And there was something about the fact there was a physicality to mm. it. Um, mm. And then there was the spirituality was just sort of woven naturally into that. And that was mm. quite eye opener for me. And the, the, the mm. other thing I would say as mm. well as you were talking there struck me is the way also in church history, the way the pendulum swings happens and 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 often yeah. that can be healthy but it will often go too far so obviously there's the phrase the phase mm. you've talked about then i think of the you know early 20th century where perhaps you know wh- to what extent this flowed into this you had a lot of churches got quite involved in to one sense doing muscular things going out and doing social action mm. doing stuff mm. forgot about the life of the spirit and the life of the heart and the mind i think you know i've mentioned him on the show before leslie Newbiggin, really big hero Mm -hmm. of mine you know grows up in that environment and realized that Mm -hmm. yes you can help people but with the hands and the feet have no chest and head as well the whole thing Mm -hmm. collapses but now i Mm -hmm. think we're back to the 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 world that you describe where i think a lot of the contemporary Mm -hmm. debates in the in the church we seem to have disembodied Christ- Christianity is so a sexuality seems mm. to have been, you know, we are almost mm. in this world that says, we know what you do with your body. doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, you know, mm. more progressive ends of Christianity that have tagged themselves onto mm. the whole transgender agenda, which is yeah, yeah. utterly body. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. about what you think up here Absolutely. matters. We don't worry about the body. Um, yeah. And so again, yeah. I think we've, we have this really unhealthy view of the body throughout, you know, yeah. parts of Christian history yeah. and we're in that world yeah. right now
0: absolutely that's really helpful and, and, and let, we'll come back to the um trans stuff later on actually that's helpful we'll transition for, to that will we? to kind of, we'll transition to that we'll have a gender transition at some point well just, just tell me your pronouns
1: that. as long as we're before we get there
0: and i'll, make <laughs> I'll change me, as we go along change. that's right um, yeah no, but it's really interesting what you say about the um some of the men's stuff as well and i do think you know without wanting to actually do we do we not want to cause controversy of course we want to cause controversy we want to cause good controversy this not show bad. never we, causes controversy yeah we, no we want to go against the at verse at yeah they never get into hot water um, exactly <laughs> indeed but the uh but the um the issue is obviously someone naturally as soon as you start talking about men like this of course women will say why can't we like this and i just think it's helpful just to lay that to one side and go okay men and women are different go and listen to our episode on that and so it's it's you're not going to get women's ministries that do jcb Barbecues, you just aren't going to get those taking off in any great numbers. So, maybe you will have some who might gravitate to it one way or another. But generally speaking, you look at the impact that it can have on men when you sort of go, No, you are generally speaking more um, aligned to this way of appreciating things. We're going to be drawn or gravitating to this approach. Just very
1: quickly, by the way, that's a good point. Just very, very quickly. I think the other way of heading that off at the past, Aaron, is to say, if somebody wants to, there is nothing to stop a woman in a church going and starting a JCP group for women. There is nothing to stop that at all. I think your point, though, is if you were to do that, I think you would get a limited number. Um, you know, yeah. you see that in certain sports. I would say, like, rock climbing is a good example. There are some, re- there are women in rock climbing. There are quite a few, few women in rock climbing. There are some really great, great women rock climbers who are blazing a trail and have done historically, but it still, mm-hmm. in fact, remains... There are many more mm. men, even though that sport is totally open to, to anybody. Mm. So you get a sort of self-selection yeah. effect going. Yeah, and, 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 and culture oh, right. today is going: if there's not fifty percent representation across the board, there's something wrong. Exactly. Rather yes. than go, let yeah. people pick what they darn well like. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, I would even, i would only push back a little bit on that. That helps you not getting in trouble. You—you you can be the nice. You know, I can be. Uh, I can be. The, I can be Fred. Be Fred to your shaggy. I just don't think it would be good for uh, women in churches to start JCB barbecues. I don't think it would be. I don't be think they would though. That's the exactly. You're right. They probably wouldn't. But if let's say they did and we said, Hey, there's nothing stopping you. I kind of be like, I don't know if I believe that. I think it wouldn't be. I, not that I would have stopped them if I was leading a church. I, I just hey, want hold. to say, is that, is it the best way? <laughs> I'm digging a hole with a JCB. Um, is it the best way to cultivate femininity? If we believe masculinity and femininity are things that the Bible seems to care about. So back to, on the muscular Christianity uh, Sort of in the movement, they they had obviously a very clear Victorian sense of the difference between men and women, perhaps too much, some would argue, in terms of stereotyping. But it did allow this sense of, look, we really need to reach men. The thing that you described earlier, Andy, about um, men, lack of men in the church, I was amazed to see a quote from uh, the Puritan preacher Cotton Mather in a good article by Greg Morse on muscular Christianity. Um, And he said his dates are 1663 to 1728, so pre victorian but kind of the world that we look back to and we assume our world is so different and look at this quote there are far more godly women in the world than godly men i have seen it without going a mile from home that in a church of three or four hundred communicants there are but a few more than 100 men all the rest are women and there's all these people writing stuff about why why aren't men going to church in the 19th century after that why aren't men going to church you know nearly three-fourths of church members are women um is is there something about christianity that's maybe foreign to to men and to the masculine makeup are are the jcb types is this just something that christianity is incompatible with masculinity because all these men aren't turning up they've been talking about this for hundreds of years which is fascinating we we see you know dave Morrow's book which we mentioned in our masculinity episode last year why men hate going to church and we think oh this is a new problem and it's actually been a problem of, throughout modernity, so maybe not entirety of history, but throughout modernity, as technology perhaps advances, or perhaps as we, the church has become effeminized feminized in all sorts of other ways, um, men aren't showing up and they're not wanting to get involved because they don't want to just sit. And, okay, is, and that's not even to say that women just want to sit. What I'm saying is they that the men want to be active and involved, they want to use their bodies, they want to be on a mission. And so part of muscular Christianity was basically reactivating men to take dominion in the world, the dominion that you know God has given to Adam, and say, and Adam and Eve together to go, go and take dominion, uh, go forth and multiply. And I think men like to do that; they like to till the garden and get on with things, even if you could argue it's something of of, of the curse that's in, involved in that. But there's a, a, a de- deliberate joy in in taking dominion in the earth, and it's a good godly thing to do. So. We we cut we kind of cut off the men when we cut off physicality from our Christianity. We make it all something that belongs in your head. And I say that, you know, we're both academics. Um, and so we could have a gravitation towards that. And I recognise that even myself, you know, I, I'm so much less handy than I could be um, because I, so many things can be done for me. But as you say, Andy, it, it's good for you. It's good for you as a man, actually, to be involved in physical labour and activity. It can actually be a very helpful even therapeutic they're not sure if I like that word uh, but, but it's an important part of some of your uh, way of living and you miss out on something when you live an entirely cerebral life whether it's entirely online on a screen at a desk in an office playing video games whatever it is you're, that's that's a sedentary cerebral life which is not really the life you're meant to live um, so I, I think you mentioned something really helpful as well is that there has been a swing in the 20th century and basically muscular Christianity did evolve into a kind of liberalism as you can totally imagine it would, because of course secularists get hold of it and go, oh, I love this. I love this kind of going out into the world, being on mission. Um, Christians are doing that thinking we we're, we're you know, we're literally missionaries like David Livingston are doing that, you know the great legacy of Livingston, kind of going and I'm gonna be a missionary who wants people to meet Jesus and I'm going to like create maps and I'm going to, you know, navigate new territories which haven't been navigated before. And um sort of in service of the British Empire. Lots of these, lo- lots of these, you know, people in, in the muscular Christian movement are thinking, yes, let's bring Christianity to the world. And they would have seen even imperialism as a way of doing that. So some of those things would have to be <laughs> reinterpreted or rethought. But at the same time, there's not everything that happened at that time is evil. We kind of look back to that like, oh, They're all terrible because the British Empire is happening. And actually lots of people would say loads of positive things happened where infrastructure was built. Lots of really Good things were exported as well as bad things, as well, as well as us sort of taking things from other nations. There were also really positive things that happened that, that, that Christians were involved in. Nigel Bigger recently got in trouble for saying anything, uh, Nigel, anything positive. Nigel yeah. Bigger
1: from Oxford, who, yeah. yes, exactly, got in trouble for um, mm. suggesting exactly as you've suggested that maybe mm. not all of the British Empire was as mm. bad. As it was, and funny thing mm. thing is, I yeah, I mean, I had my eyes open to that by by Indian friends actually when I first went to India. Right. I've been quite surprised by Indian friend, you know, because as a Brit there, you almost feel the need to be slightly apologetic and slightly self deprecating mm. on the way that your your you know your country has behaved. And having Indian friends saying, "Hey, perhaps don't be so don't beat up so much on it." There were some really good mm. things mm. that came out mm. of it, as well as the as well as the uh, mm. the bad stuff. But I think um, mm. the other thing as you were talking there that I was reflecting on that, that flows out of this the other. The other thing that I think we learned in that church experience that I described is not merely the physicality piece. And I think that there is something going on there. And like you, I don't like the word therapeutic, mm. but there is something helpful, might be a better word. Just something helpful mm. when, as a guy, mm. getting out there, I mean, getting into nature is a big part of it. There's been lots of, you know, Christian and secular studies have shown that, that getting out and walking and hiking and being in God's creation, mm. but also mm. something mm. physical to that as well the other thing i think that flows out of this aaron that we've lost in some parts of the church is creating those spaces too for men to be on their own um mm-hmm. you know women need to be on their own as well we need groups for for, for women and I, but I know far more churches that would have like you know a women's ministry set up and far less churches there are some mm-hmm. let's not be let's not let's throw everything out but far less churches that have really thought through how they do men's ministry yeah well and it was interesting i was actually reading um i, think I mentioned it a few shows ago that was a wonderful book called the well wonderful it's quite a disturbing book but a really helpful book called the boy crisis written by an american yeah. psychologist called warren farrell of years of experience working with 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 men and boys and and, and mm. re- really wrestling with some of the issues there and he talks about this that there is this huge need and this pressure to sort of you know merge the sexes in groups we we've, we've, yeah. you know we've run across this that my Son goes to a scouts group, and that's been a, that's open to women, yeah. so there's there's two or three girls in that group. And it was I mean, interesting. My son, who's seven, who's not really aware of this stuff, at one point made a comment to me said, Yeah, we we play, I think we play a bit differently when there are girls around. It's like, yeah. yeah, um, you know, boys yeah. Yeah. on their own, left to their own, there tends to be a bit more of the rough housing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like my son, Absolutely. he crisp wants to wrestle me, Trina yeah. occasionally yeah. will have a go, but my son, it's yeah. my son who prefers, yeah. uh, and I, I think even at seven, he feels that the girl in mm. the group changed that and then interestingly my yeah. daughter goes to guides and they haven't opened mm. that up to men and it's actually really interesting i asked my 10 yeah. year old daughter katrina about that i said i think it's not fair is it that that you know, that christian scouts group you know girls can go mm. into but boys can't go into guides mm. and she just yeah, she, must have, yeah, yeah. she must have picked up something from somewhere maybe she should be letting all the gaps my, my daughter's place of wisdom on this was she said well I think it's because very few boys are under the stuff we do in Guide. So we do some physical stuff yeah. and some sport and stuff, but we do a lot of craft and cooking and creative stuff. So I don't think many boys are into that. She said, I, more girls, though, I think are into the. There are more girls who would want to do tree climbing and setting fire to things and, mm-hmm. and physical stuff. Maybe that's why. And I said, Oh, that was, that was interesting, her, mm-hmm. her take on that. But yeah, but anyway, Warren Farrell's stuff in The Boy Crisis is interesting mm-hmm. because you know he's got lots of data psychologically to back up the guys do really well when there are some spaces mm. where they can yes. talk about guy stuff and not feel it has to be filtered and not feel mm. they have to, mm. you know, somehow change yeah. th- things up uh, yeah. who, who they are. And that's not to say we want to create spaces for toxic flaming masculinity. That word always gets thrown around, but there is something, as we said, there are differences between men and women and creating spaces where those differences can be expressed and talked about. Um, as we saw, you know, 20 years ago in church, mm. create those spaces and actually non-Christian men come, um, which mm. is
0: interesting. Mm. Yeah. And we had that. We had a similar thing recently running a, yeah. myself and a, a guy in our church started a, a men's group meeting once a month called Being Men. And we got a significant amount of guys turn up on the first week and, and the cons- good kind of consistent numbers throughout and a mixture of ages, mostly Christians from the church, but then a few non-Christians coming along um, and it's a space where we just hang out, have beers and, um, you know, chat. And even just having a space where it is called being men, so there aren't any women allowed. Um, again, I, the whole notion of, oh, this will inevitably be toxic, is just a real ideology of our age. And it's actually, I think, a real problem, because people don't seem to realise how important that is and how different um, men and women are and that and th- those spaces are necessary. We Absolutely, we recognise it for women. We recognise there are spaces that need to be just women. Um, and as well as mixed spaces, but there have to be ones for men, especially because we are in a crisis. Men are the ones who are committing suicide at a ridiculous rate, uh, comparably. And I think, yeah, that sense of, 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 of co- collective togetherness and a sense where they can just talk about what it means to be men. So we have a talk at this thing. I've been doing a series on David's mighty men where we get into some of these issues. What are these things that the Bible even might speak about in terms of masculinity, which we don't even hear spoken about in our culture? Um, and I did reference actually the similar thing to we, where you mentioned with Katrina and guides, um, that, um, we have the girls brigade who meet, uh, their international headquarters is here where I work at, at Cliff College. It's just down the bottom of the hill there. And, uh, I chat to their leaders of that sometimes and, and say, you know, I, I love the fact that you guys still are holding on to girls only because the boys brigade now allow girls in, which I think is outrageous. Um, because it's like, oh, we just don't care about the effect on the boys but we'll absolutely must protect the girls against these toxic boys. And I just think that's just, I think genuinely that's like disgraceful in our culture that we think that's okay. And if and Christians think, oh yeah, there's understandings for that because some girls want to get in this. It's, it's not inclusive. Whereas um, we can't allow the boys in because they'll obviously be terrible to the, to the girls. Now I don't want to allow the boys into a girls brigade. They, the girls should be the girls brigade. They said, keep fighting that battle. And they said, yeah, we're trying, but people are now starting to kind of push on that. Um, because of course you are going to get people who are you're going to get more effeminate boys who are going to want to join, Girl Guides and, and Girls begin there and they probably will have to bow to that pressure. So I'm glad the women are holding strong. I wish the men had held strong as well to protect some of those boys because brotherhood and those dynamics that you get have been so central, and that's what muscular Christianity sought to recover. It wants to say we need spaces where we need to create boys' clubs. It's so funny we use the term boys' clubs as a bad thing. I picked up this um this book. Yes, just uh, I think it was yesterday I picked this up off a shelf. Called Making Men: The History of Boys Clubs and Related Movements in Great Britain, by a guy called Eager, um, and this is the whole history of say so, why did the churches have to start boys clubs and then the, then the secular culture takes them over eventually and they probably become as you say in the 20th century it becomes a kind of social gospel. Let's just do stuff that's good for good for the world, um, which is a good thing, but then, then they lose the spirituality. So it's it, it, the muscular Christianity was absolutely recovering. We must reach men. Uh, we, we and the men need to understand that their bod- they've been given their bodies for a reason that physical exercise is good. You know, Paul says, you know, um, physical tra- bodily physical training is of value, but of course, godliness is kind of higher. It, it's kind of almost on on a continuum. They're connected, um, but it's not like it's valueless because we've often lived Christianity though so our bodies don't matter that much because it's all about our heads and our souls, uh, or our hearts and our and our heads, I guess. Yeah, where so they were kind of recovering this and saying, Get- getting boys together will be productive for them. It will use their significant amounts of energy, whereas today you, you find the whole thing in schools where boys are just diagnosed with ADHD because they're asked to sit down in a room for the entire day and they don't seem to respond as well as girls to to certain modes of education. So we've mentioned before that, that sense in which um, boys are seen as defective girls in our education system. Um, and that's precisely because boys need to be out there, active, using their bodies. And even those who are less inclined to that. So you might be listening to this going, Oh, but I'm not that kind of boy or I'm not that kind of man. Um, this is where I think it's really important where we allow scripture and nature to come together. So we're saying we've been given a nature, we've been given a body which seems to lean itself, you know, greater muscle mass in men than women, that kind of thing. We seem to have a proclivity to certain activities that women less so. Um, and then the Bible can h- helps the revelation of how we see that there are there's enough in the Bible to lead us in different directions to what masculinity and femininity look like. So you can't just turn up and go, "I'm a different kind of boy." I, I happen I have the same genitalia as you. I just don't like using my body physically in these ways. And I think, okay, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to impose anything on someone and say so you have to become really sporty if you're not sporty, or you have to become a hiker like Andy, uh, or you're not allowed to climb a tree if you're a girl. It's not really saying specifically, this is the kind of behaviour activity you have to do. But it would just give you a kind of trajectory. I think the Bible does lean us to a trajectory of what are men made for and and what is what have they been given their bodies for? Why do they have more muscle mass? Is there a thing they're supposed to do with their bodies, which is helpful? Are there bad things that they could do with their bodies? Could they use their strength to bully people? Could they be toxic with it? Could they abuse women with their strength, their superior strength? And so the muscular Christians, you know, there's writers like Tom, Thomas Hughes, who wrote... Um, Tom Brown's School Days, which is a classic kind of novel the boys were given to read in the in Victorian England, and and is still read today by many. Um, and actually, the Japanese the Japanese Empire looked at that book. They they studied Tom Brown's School Days as a model of how to how to create an empire, which I found fascinating because they said this is what the young boys in England are reading uh, as they go and you know take dominion across the world. How do we grow our empire? We're going to read Tom Brown's School Days, which is a bizarre thing. I don't know how it went down or how they translated that into Japanese culture. But it was an interesting thing that this sense of boys growing up and being trained to take dominion, right? But not in a way that means I'm going to dominate and uh, destroy people, as we might often imagine is the case. It was precisely saying we need need strong boys to stand up to bullies. So in Tom Brown's School Days, there is a, a bully in there called Flashman, who's the kind of also sporty and physical and active because, oh, he's masculine, that's good. But actually, Tom Brown has to stand up to him and he has to have the courage to do that. And he doesn't do that by blasting in and dominating every atmosphere he's in. He has to have the courage to stand up and be strong enough in himself and perhaps use, even using his body to do that to um, stand up to those who are going to bully others. So if you want to protect women, then why not spend time inputting into men to make them stronger courageous in all these other ways so the spiritual and the physical come together in that and taking action in the world is a key part of what it means to be courageous you can't just be courageous and have faith in your head and say i will be faithful and take a courageous step when the time comes i will you know i will do this in the world when the time comes if it it presents itself to me you sometimes have to actually just take action and that does mean usually something that has physical concrete reality in the world Uh, whereas far too often we've just imagined god is only interested in what's going on Inside us and not outside of us. I think as
1: well, the other thing that intrigues me there is you know, we've mentioned the kind of toxic masculinity I will phrase a couple of times because that's the phrase obviously Mm. that's thrown around in in culture a lot. And sometimes there is toxic masculinity, it needs to be called out. There's obviously equally toxic femininity. But of course, doesn't mm. care to me. you can't actually talk about toxic masculinity unless you know what masculinity is supposed to be used for right time and Absolutely. time again we come back to teleology um you can't talk about these things unless you know what they're they're for and the same applies to some of the bigger mm. issues in culture and things like sexuality unless we know what sex is for mm. then we can't mm. really talk about bad use and good use of it and i think we've mm. shied away we certainly shied away in the culture from talking About these things, you know, we've sort of collapsed into this kind of postmodern morass where everything is exactly Mm. what you want it to be. Everything is self-defined, and so on and so forth. Mentioned, Mm. you know, Carl Truman's Mm. Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self on here a few times. I think that book passes and traces that history really, really well. But I think Mm. in the church today, I think the issue we we have, Aaron, is I think I do think we are back into the into the realms of the Gnostic, where I think we're we're, we're, for a number of things. I think I think there's a fear we're afraid of having those conversations. So I think, Mm. you know, national leaders like say, well, you know, Justin Welby, Church of England, you know, is probably, Mm. you know, firstly terrified about coming out and Mm. actually talking about these things because you're going to get shot at. Um, Mm. I guess if I had, you know, Welby over a coffee, I'd say, dude, whatever you say, you're going to get shot at. So why not take a stand (laughs) on something? Because, you know, there's no, there's nowhere to hide uh, really. Um, Someone's going to kick you on, on something. But then secondly, I think, I think we have bought into this, you know, the contemporary world wants to tell you that the gender is just utterly is just a construct. And of course that mm. greases the skids for things like transgenderism. You I know, it begins well, yes. doesn't it? It begins with a, you, mm. I've alluded to, it. you've alluded to the idea if you know, if a girl wants to climb trees, let her climb trees. And I think that's dead right. I have a girl who likes to climb trees. My daughter is up anything, um, you know, before you can say, um, you know, Scotch pine, but, um, but the fact remains that, as you say, there are still there is still that biblical framework for what masculinity in general looks like and what femininity mm-hmm. in general looks like. There are differences between between men and women. Um, but you know, you you say those things in our culture, and the, you get you get you know, look of abject horror thrown at you. But mm-hmm. I think the church has run away from that, and I think that's half the reason we're mm-hmm. in the mess. That we are and no wonder we then have these ludicrous conversations about sexuality as we the day we record this the church of england is about to take some big you know historic yeah. vote on something crazy around sexuality um the church is so <coughs> far down the rabbit hole it's past the rabbits and and, and into mm. somewhere further um because
0: <laughs> i think beyond post rabbits yeah. post rabbits post rabbit <laughs> hole
1: um because we've lost contact with with reality and i think yeah, I think what was helpful in this conversation around the muscular aspect is going. There is a world out there. There are some givens in that world, and there are some. There's some degree to which we can shape things, but the degree to which we can has some has some limits as well. But rather than seeing that as a source of frustration or a chance to, you know, mm. insult one another, we're going, okay, well, let's look at the world that God calls good, and go out there and see mm. how do we engage it and engage it well, and if long way people get upset with some of the things you say well that's always going to happen but we can still do that with grace and compassion uh even when we disagree mm. with one another but i think right now we run the risk in the church as well as the culture of having completely emasculated men of forcing women to just behave like men anyway mm. and all yeah. kinds of chaos follows and yeah. um, no wonder therefore that you know, people who do look at this and say there has to be more to life than just a kind of sort of gray morass of, you know, non-specific gender. No wonder men particularly are therefore chasing after secular voices like, say, Jordan Peterson, who we've talked about on this show. Yeah. And um, and I think, that's, I think it's fascinating, and as we've also said on this show, that I think there are some things that Jordan says are profoundly helpful. I think there are some things he says he's profoundly confused. But it does intrigue mm-hmm. me that on masculinity – um, you know, you listen to what he, what Jordan will often say. It's fairly, tra- it's fairly trad stuff. I remember the first time I picked yeah. up Twelve Rules for Life or whatever that first book was called, and like, you know, mm-hmm. Rule One: stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's just like stand up and 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 have a bit of self confidence and and stop being mm-hmm. such a wuss, guys, and just get out there and engage the world. And it's like that's a that's not ro- rocket science. And my grandfather would have said to me, um, but mm-hmm. no one is saying it, and the church, I think, mm-hmm. isn't saying it. And so people chase mm. after someone like Jordan. And it breaks my mm. heart, actually, that, you know, two million people will listen to a video by him um, and get perhaps half the truth. And of those, how many are actually going to stumble across um, the Christian faith? Because over here, the church just looks totally like the culture. And if somebody wants mm. it, yeah, Only man. only dead yeah. things go
0: with the flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's a good point. And, and obviously, yeah, people can, if any new listeners can listen to our, we did an episode on, Men, Masculinity, and Mission last year, and also a follow-up around Jordan Peterson and Masculinity precisely on that. In fact, we're doing a, um, I'm doing a seminar later today on Peterson's second book, Beyond Order, his uh, 12 More Rules for Life. And it's interesting how you see his, uh yeah, he's certainly almost mellowed a little bit. He's become more accepted by the mainstream. He used to sort of be seen as a weird far-right kind of person, and now he's really sort of been accepted, especially as more troubling voices to the right of him have Emerged people are like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be like Andrew Tate or something like that. So, uh, well, Peter Jordan, please give us some, uh, you know, more sound wisdom. And So, he's not actually all that controversial anymore, which is kind of helpful in the sense that the Overton window shifted and these conversations about men have moved on, um, helpfully in the last few years, which is helpful. So, but we need to kind of continue them really. And interesting, you mentioned the thing about the bodies again and, and sexuality, just to quote, just to kind of weigh in on this Anglican, you know, rabbit hole nonsense. Um, one of the uh, bishops the bishop of worcester quoted rowan williams on on twitter earlier this week bit of worcester sauce yeah we go. the worst the worst yeah yeah the bishop the worst bishop yeah. um, he, uh, he so he quoted rowan williams of course former archbishop of canterbury who's obviously a very erudite and complex thinker um very very kind of great theologian seems a great theologian and you know very, has got lots of brilliant insights but I found him troubling as an archbishop because he was often so complex and nuanced that he would always get misunderstood famously on the, when he said, you know, Sharia law, perhaps it's inevitable that Sharia law I guess, should be incorporated yes, into British law. And, that called, and that's the kind of thing that a son, someone reading a sun newspaper who doesn't care about Christianity just sat in a pub. Two guys are going to – they're going to talk about what the archbishop says. That's kind of the amazing thing about still having a state church, I guess. Is it amazing or not? I don't know. But it's helpful – that at least there's a possibility of a Christian voice that will be thought about. A Christian leader can say something, and, and people who have no interest in the church will talk about it. So here's what one bishop quotes this former archbishop saying, When Williams saying In a church which accepts the legitimacy of contraception, the absolute condemnation of same sex relations of intimacy. Um, gay people having sex must rely either on an abstract fundamentalist deployment of a number of very ambiguous texts. By the way, notice the adjectives and the adverbs, a number of very ambiguous texts, or on a problematic and non-scriptural theory about natural complementarity, male-female, applied narrowly and crudely to physical differentiation without regard to psychological structures. Now, that's quite a uh, mouthful, Um, um, but it's the, the, the thing I want to notice about it is just the, how subtly it tries to undermine the entirety of a view which is in, like the most natural view people have, have held about humans, really, about the difference between men and women, natural complementarity. So he says that's a non-scriptural theory, that what we've been talking about, that men and women are kind of basically different Um just calling it problematic, calling it narrow, calling it crude. It's just crude saying that we're physically different. Well, is it, Rowan? Like, is it crude? Is it now Goodness, I wouldn't want to be narrow and crude, would I? So I presume I need to agree with your view. What's your view? Oh, it's this kind of interesting thing where you can literally just, just yep. totally change. Psychologically, you can just impose that upon The trouble is, the lessons. other
1: thing I find with this as well is th- this kind of playing with words, this kind of sort of scepticism... It is also, of course, mm. a universal acid, isn't it? Because you could run mm. exactly mm. that same filter on more fundamental Christian doctrines. You could say, well, the attempts yeah. to ground the resurrection in history, that's very crude. That's a very literalistic, yeah. really. Much better to do a, you know, to, to, to be more Absolutely. open to metaphor. And if you really wanted mm. to play with it, you could go... If I met Rowan, it'd be quite funny to say, Rowan, I read that paragraph you wrote. I am so glad that you came out so stridently on the view that there is complementarity between the sexes and male and female in marriage. And Rowan would say, I didn't write that. And to go, oh, no, 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 Rowan, I, I didn't want to reduce myself to a crude literal reading of your of your words not mere yeah. semantics not mere letters on a page i was looking for the yeah. spirit and the and the, and the deeper yeah. psychological truths behind right. what you wrote and i read yeah. your words to mean that you totally agree with me and you are a conservative with a capital c um, yeah and this yeah. is the problem with all the postmodern yeah. turn it yeah, does yeah. ultimately eat itself when it you does, apply yeah you know the, the same standard to itself than it than itself destructs. and in fact I, as a the the atheist um philosopher A.J. Ayer's back in the 1960s i think it was uh you know talking yeah 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 i famously Ayer. said um ajay famously said Freddie, as he was known to his friends famously said the uh the uh, the debunker should be forced to wield his debunking sword over his own cherished beliefs I mm. like that. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. very easy to turn around and, and like Rowan and others, to, to try and debunk others using these kind of word games. And I think Aya, who was yeah. not no friend of Christians, he was talking about philosophy in general. It's like yeah. you need yeah. apply the same standard to your own to yeah. your own beliefs and, uh, and see what and happens.
0: Exactly right, and, and you say yeah, the whole thing about eating eating their own words, um, it eats itself, and and to some extent, postmodernism also not only really eats itself. But it can't digest it and vomits it up and just keeps eating it again. It's like, like the dog returning to its vomit. Can I keep going back again and regurgitating this same problem um, and then pr- wistfully talk about how profound and complex and nuanced it is to not have all the answers? There was another, I quoted in a sermon last night, actually, um, a kind of troubling, a troubling, uh, phrase i saw by phil Vischer on uh, also on social media kind of saying just having a go at people who are certain about things who have certain oh, yes now of course there's bad kinds of certainty for sure um and he'll he'll be thinking of people who are kind of in the political sphere who just don't seem to be very human in the way that they respond and they and they just respond almost like automatons for their political opinion or religious opinion and that could be conservative christians as well um but I just find it disingenuous sometimes. It's like, I'm the human, authentic one because I doubt and I'm just very, I don't really fully believe what I really believe, or at least I'm not as sure as you. And to be sure about stuff, to be have any kind of certainty or confidence in what you believe and to take action on it in the world, again, which is what the muscular Christians were trying to do, that must be really bad. You're too certain. Let's just be ambiguous about everything. Let's just kind of be not crude and not narrow. And you kind of think, why isn't that crude and narrow? That's just a very certain view to say, I'm, you know, it's certainly the case that certainty is bad. So, again, it kind of eats itself and causes all sorts of problems in the way. And these aren't, again, these aren't just philosophical, abstract problems. These are things that massively affect people in the world in real significant ways. We're not just, you know, postulating here. There are people who are going to go through surgery that they will reject, that will ruin them for the rest of their life, and, they, and that they will have depression over and anxiety and maybe not even be able to afford to have the... Um, the reversals or something. There's loads of problems that will occur in people's lives, Are people's lives who are the boys and girls being raised in ways which are not going to be helpful for them for their future life because of some of these ideas filtering down and basically infecting the way the education system works, the way the social zeitgeist works. So we basically just don't, and, and the church has so much to say on it. We've got so much in the scripture and so much to point to in nature as God's creation that we should be able to point to and glorify and say this is a good thing this is good and this is a bad thing and this is why you need the good thing to counteract the bad thing uh, such as the muscular christians at their best were trying to do um and yet we're embarrassed to talk about it we're embarrassed to kind of go there so i absolutely think we need to recover this um sense of taking the world by storm as it were and saying we are here as emissaries of the kingdom of god and we want to see god doing great things again through us through his church and that does mean men and women being men and women of god and that's a different thing not just putting us all under some personal individualistic um kind of arbitrary distinction where we can just say well i'm whoever i want to be i'm I'm just a person why not why why just a person why stop there why not just make yourself a unicorn or a dragon or something i guess you'd get a lot more done if you were a dragon at least if you believed you were
1: i think that's not a bad place to end
0: (laughs) Why? 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 Dragon?
1: earth. On the, uh, yes. on, the uh, on the on the dragon. But I think really just that 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 call to yeah, we need more muscular Christianity. We need to not be afraid of how God has constructed things. I mean, we need not, not be afraid of truth um, either. You know, it occurs to me actually that what I find fascinating back in that Rowan Williams quote and Phil Fisher and others is. Is that there's always a temptation, the the the, the 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 where there's a trick and you can learn to spot the trick is where you're very quick mm. to deconstruct the position you disagree with. It applies yeah. to your yourself. I remember reading an interview with, with Tim Keller, and uh, you know, who was sort of leaning more liberal in his early days, goes to goes to college and there's all this liberal theology being thrown around, and then he raises his hand and said, you know, if everything is relative, presumably justice is relative too, right? And we're told, oh mm. no, don't be silly, of course it isn't. And he was like, "That's the moment at which I realised I'd been had." Um, and I think that would be the same with Rowan. If you were to go to Rowan or to Phil and say, "Okay, yeah, take Phil Visher's quote," so we can't be sure, certain, so we probably don't really need to take a stand on sexual trafficking, or human sexual trafficking, because mm-hmm. that's certainty, right? We're not sure. It might be okay. It might not be okay. I'm sure Phil would say, Are "You insane? Of course we should. Mm-hmm. We should take a stand on that on that issue or whatever mm-hmm. issue is for him. It's just." You know, it sounds very clever when mm. you start applying this to your mm. opponents and try and deconstruct mm. them. Mm. And I think, again, yeah. to bring it back to where we always like to end it, I think the thing about the about the gospel and Jesus and the cross that's so powerful for me is when you take that seriously, that gives you a place to stand to critique culture, yes, mm. to critique others, but also if you're doing it right to critique you. You know, I remember being taught mm. very early on in theology, if as you read the gospels, you don't find you find a jesus there who only agrees with you you are reading mm-hmm. it wrong on the other hand if you read the gospels you find yourself regularly going ouch oh hello that mm-hmm. that is an issue i need to deal with then you are closer to a you know reading an authentic jesus because he doesn't let you get away with just throwing stones at others whether you are liberal or conservative um yeah. but you put the cross and jesus central and use that as your reference points then that gives mm. us utter confidence to take a stand mm. on whatever the issue is, I think. Mm.
0: Mm. That's really good, yeah. And, and and just one final thought on the inter- thinking of, of the gospel, especially the fact that Jesus was incarnate is important to mention. Here. Yes, it is. Jesus, Jesus became muscular. So that's we mustn't lose the fact of that. When we talk about muscular Christianity, the gospel, the incarnation itself is God becoming flesh, God becoming muscular uh, and putting... Uh, putting sinews on himself, as it were, um, and fleshing himself. And that that's just so profound. And we can't get over how profound that is theologically and the impact that has upon our Christianity. As we follow in his wake, we are his hands and the church is his body here on earth. So we are literally like the muscle of Jesus, as it were, doing stuff in the world um and enacting that. So we just, we take that wonderful gospel. What he did, we don't just talk about this past event. It's a present reality as we bring the impact of that gospel afresh on our cultures today.
1: Well, that's a great place to end. And uh, and so this has been uh Pod of the Gaps. I hope it has been sufficiently muscular for you and given you lots to think about. <laughs> I've been Andy banister that's been Aaron Edwards, and as we said at the start, if you've enjoyed this episode, enjoy Pod of the Gaps, please remember follow us on Twitter. Consider supporting us on Patreon. Please like the podcast on your podcast provider, leave a review. And hey, one other way you could really help this show, if you've enjoyed this episode, why not share it with three friends? Think of three friends that you could send a link to the podcast to, uh, you know, text message them, to send them a ping on social media, whatever, and help spread the word. It's always exciting when we go out and speak places to hear people who really enjoyed and found part of the gaps helpful. And of course, if there is a topic that you would love us to cover and you think we haven't addressed, reach out to us on uh, social media we'll have a new website soon but in the meantime reach out to us on social media tell us hey we think there's a gap the church isn't talking about whatever it is and we will add it to our ever-growing list of topics
0: amen and do ensure that when you do uh, contact your friends to tell them about one of the gaps that you do pronounce their name correctly it's always a really good way to you know continue a friendship in that that's way. definitely right aaron absolutely <laughs> <laughs> thank you and Andino. and
1: on that note on that bombshell
0: goodbye. Farewell. Thank you.